I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Today's podcast is with Nick Sheridan, who is now the Offensive Coordinator at Indiana. When he recorded this podcast, it was prior to the 2019 season when he was the tight ends coach, and he talked to us about preparing his position. There's a lot to learn from him as a teacher of the game and as a coach. I think you're going to enjoy this one, and it applies really to any position, though he is talking specifically tight ends here. Check out our new home for the podcast at coachingcoordinator.com, and follow me on Twitter at Coach. Kay Grabowski. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast and our series to prepare you for training camp. And joining me today is the tight ends coach at Indiana, Coach Nick Sheridan. Coach, it's, it's great to have you here and talk ball with you. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512 814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. 
To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. Yeah, thanks, Keith. I appreciate you asking me to come on and, and look forward to talk to you. Coach, before we get into some of these preseason topics here to help coaches, I do want to touch on uh, your career to this point, really starting with probably a, a long time ago, having grown up the, the coach of a son that I'm sure you've developed a love for this that really has driven you into the coaching profession. Talk to us a little bit about growing up the son of the coach and how that really um, has helped you progress in this profession. Yeah, I certainly uh, feel fortunate to, to have been exposed to coaching and the sport of football at a young age. I mean, just, just at a base level, my dad's my hero. And um, so growing up, I always wanted to be like him. You know, I obviously looked up to the players that he coached and thought that they were, you know, superhuman. But um, I thought the guys that used to yell at the players were cooler. So I, um, you know, I've been fortunate and um, I got a wonderful dad and I have a great relationship with him. And for the longest, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be just like him. And so um, I've been very fortunate that way. And, um, you know, I knew at some point uh, that my playing career was going to end. And when, as soon as that, that, that day came, I knew I wanted to get right into coaching. And so I've been fortunate to be able to do that um, here for the last few years. And Nick, when I look at your background and I have read some stuff about you, like a couple things come to mind with um, just, I think the guys who grow up as, as uh, the, the son of a coach and live this and have it part of every day, you know, you walked on as a quarterback at Michigan, right? Yep. And you were committed yep. to that. I and mean, that is not, an easy thing to do at at, uh, at the highest level there to walk on and then to stick with it. You don't see that happen quite a bit, but you know I, that drive I think is is what came through as I read about you. That drive to just be a part of this, to to keep working the things that you know we grow up learning uh, with our dads being on the sidelines. I, I think that's shined through, and I think that that probably is has been a big part of just you progressing through. Uh, these these early stages of your career? Yeah, I think um, certainly I was exposed as a player in college to some excellent coaches. Um, you know, was was able to learn from two different uh, styles of offense and, and styles of coaching. Um, and really, you know, the motivation for me coming out of high school um, to go to the University of Michigan was just to compete and, and be around the best of the best. And um, was fortunate, obviously, to to do that, and and certainly feel blessed to have had that opportunity to be a student athlete in the Big Ten. And I'm a Midwest kid, and my, my family has Midwest roots, and so to have that opportunity certainly was was a chance of a lifetime. And I feel fortunate to to have been a part of that. I had some great teammates, um, was around some great players, competed against, and, and saw a lot of great players from opposing teams and opposing schools as well as a lot of great coaches as well. So um, just being in that environment and in that space as a, as a college athlete was a blessing. And, um, you know, I wish I threw a couple more completions and not so many interceptions, but uh, was fortunate to just have, have been a part of that. And uh, I know I, I feel thankful for that. When I look at how offense has evolved right now, we are, I think, at a point where, you know, the position you coach has made a, a comeback, the tight end position, um, it was it was used a little bit differently than you know when you were playing for Lloyd Carr, and then I'm not sure 
exactly if you guys even had that position technically very much anymore under, under Rich Rodriguez. I know he was a Big Ten personnel guy, but yeah. you had that ability really to learn in two distinctly different systems. Now, a lot of, of what we're seeing in offensive football today is kind of married uh, that idea of you know the power run game, which which you guys were really big on with with Lloyd to the spread offense. So, talk a little bit just about learning in those two different systems and really how maybe that has uh, to to helped you to to where you're at today. Yeah, and and, um, and just talking specifically as a player, you know, primarily my first two years with Coach Carr, Mike DeBoer was the offensive coordinator, and we were. We were almost exclusively zone uh, running game. Now, we were in different personnel groupings, 21 and 12, some 11. But there typically was always a tight end in the game. Um, I wouldn't say that in the, the passing game, we had some excellent wide receivers my first two years there, uh, Mario Manningham, Steve Preston, Adrian Arrington. And so certainly those guys saw the field quite a bit. Greg Matthews was there as a young player. Um, so those guys were on the field. Um, a good bit so we weren't in a ton of multiple tight end sets um, and so their job responsibilities were pretty much play action game pass protection you know zone running game type things um, and then when coach Rodriguez got there obviously the the gun run and the zone read we still had uh, tight ends that were there I know Kevin Coger who's a, a young coach for the Green Bay Packers he was a tight end a year younger than me um, and he still played was a captain had a great career so there was still that incorporation of, of that position but certainly I think I don't know over the last several years you know just the versatility of that position um, some of the explosiveness and athleticism that some guys at the next level have shown and the, the matchup issues that they present um, it's really increased the skill set and the job description of that position. And it makes it a challenge to coach, which is super fun and super exciting. So I think the position has continued to grow as, um, you know, just the body types and the athletes have gotten bigger and better and faster and can do more things. Um, you know, offensive coaches have evolved and, 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 and found ways to incorporate them because it is such a versatile position. They're guys that can detach from the line of scrimmage and run routes and create matchup issues for safeties and linebackers. And yet at the same time, if you get them in the core, they can block, you know, six techniques or, or Mike linebackers on different run game schemes. So it's a versatile position that makes it a challenge to coach, which I've really, really enjoyed. I think it's also become from the coaching side of things, a, a position that is very valuable. And, you know, as before we got going back in the, uh, the days where that tight end wasn't looked as, you know, that downfield threat as much and wasn't necessarily always that athletic. I mean, you know, a lot of systems he was he was a tackle with an eligible number. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, jokingly I said, it. you know, you really didn't want to be the tight end coach because you usually were like on your way out and it was some kind of demotion probably for an O-line guy or whatever that – um, you know, they certainly didn't have the security of, of, of some of the, the jobs today. As you look at, man, yeah. you guys have one of the most challenging jobs because you're integrating probably the widest set of skills on the yep. team. And so it's very important that, that you orchestrate that. So uh, a, a ton of value to um, a really good tight end coach today. And I'm sure that's, you know, what, yeah. what you're relied on to bring to the table for IU. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I've been fortunate to, um, as a young coach, even though I was coaching other positions, 
you know, I've been around some great tight end coaches. I know when I first got into coaching, um, Stu Holt, who's at Louisville now, he did an outstanding job with our tight ends at Western Kentucky. Jack Doyle, who plays for the Colts, um, was a product of Stu's teaching. Certainly Jack was an excellent player, but Stu did a great job um, and, and had other tight ends at Western Kentucky. And we did a lot of different things with those guys. And so um, certainly, and then as I moved on in my career, you know, Mark Elder is head coach of Eastern Kentucky. He was at Tennessee the last few years with Mike DeBoard at Indiana. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to see those guys coach and also have seen the challenges that the position presents just from um, a job description standpoint. Like you mentioned, you know, you have to do things that a wide receiver are, are asked to do, and things that a tailback may be asked to do in protection, and then things obviously that the offensive line is asked to do. So um, I think it's for young coaches out there, I think it's a great position to be to learn offensive football, to learn big picture football. You're right in the middle of it. Um, you have to be knowledgeable and understand the throw game. And at the same time, you're a part of the run game as well. And so um, I think it's a really, really unique position. And, um, you know, for, for young tight end coaches out there, I, I would encourage them because I think it gives you a great perspective, um, you know, big picture football and, and offensive football at, what things are uh, challenging for different positions, what things are required, the, the skill development, um, everything that goes into that. I think it's a really good place to be, and, and I've enjoyed it very much. Coach, let's get into some of the focus on training camp here as coaches um, are finalizing some of their, their plans for preparation and getting into this soon. And, and talk about how you, know, you take your guys through – you know, that, that installation plan. So you get together and yep. you guys have planned this out and, you know, your OC has said, you know, here's the things we're installing. And, and as I said, uh, your job is, is uh, complex because you have to figure out how we're going to get all our work in for these different things. Yep. So as you look at, at putting together um, your portion of this and really not getting in, you know, scheme specific here, but how are you looking to, especially in the, in the first couple weeks, be sure that, these guys are are getting up to speed and getting proficient in both sides of this, the run game and the pass game? Yeah, that's a great question, Keith. And I'll just kind of go through just, um, you know, just a teaching progression. And this would be applicable to any position. Um, and, and I preface all this, this by saying, you know, anything that I share with you today, you know, I certainly stole or, or learned from, from other coaches that I've been exposed to. So if there's anybody that, has, that I've worked with or played for that hears things that are familiar or that they know they've taught me, it, I really am just uh, complimenting them by sharing it with other people. So um, just from an installation standpoint, there's really a direct path, on, in my opinion, on how um, a skill or a scheme gets installed, regardless of position. So from the very beginning, you start off with a classroom installation in whatever setting that you may have as a coach, and that involves video, playbook drawings, tip sheets, PowerPoints, et cetera. Um, and so I try to, um, in a classroom setting, I try to use, um, be efficient with the time, obviously, and really those uh, handouts or playbook material are used as references because, um I want the players to have something that they can refer to when they're on their own, that they can go back, whether it be cut-ups or whether it be installs or tip sheets. The second piece, so obviously you have your classroom install. The next step is to have walkthroughs, and this is where 
for the tight end position and really any position, we try to spend more time than maybe normal simply because of the large job descriptions. Um, so we go from the classroom to a walkthrough setting and I, I use my meeting time um, and I, I incorporate my own positional walkthroughs. I don't just use the walkthroughs that are allocated by the coordinator. From a walkthrough, you have individual time where really you're isolating the skills that, that the players are going to be required to perform for the schemes. Then you go into group work, which would be inside drill, seven-on-seven, seven, half-line, whatever that may be. Then you have team or scouts, and then you have a game. So just from a, a pure teaching progression, that's how, you know, in, in our mind that, that we see how you install a play, install a scheme. Just a couple notes uh, about teaching in general, and you're just asking from an installation standpoint. I just give some thoughts to you and to the guys that are listening. I do believe that images are better than words and showing is better than telling. And so I do try to make a point to spend a, a lot of time finding and watching film clips that our players can see other players. Sometimes it may be NFL players. I know they love watching the guys that are the best in the world. If you can find schemes or techniques that those guys are u using and you can show that to them, I think that is more powerful than you to simply try to explain it verbally. Um, I do think that too much instruction can be worse than none. I, I think sometimes you can preach too much to them and you don't just show them what, what, what you're asking them to do, whether that be on a video clip or whether you use an upperclassman to demonstrate a technique. Um, and so those are just some big picture things that, that we try to do at the position. Um, you know, as from a teaching standpoint and a, a teaching progression, just really a direct path on, okay, here's the scheme. This is how we're going to implement it to our players. And then just some general, you know, teaching thoughts and, and, and um, you know, philosophies on how you want to try to get your players to ultimately play their best and, and understand the skills that you're asking them to do. So I don't, I hope that answers the question. I just wanted to kind of give you a couple of thoughts there and just on general teaching things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do have a, a question on the show part and something you said with yeah. doing your own positional walkthroughs because typically yeah. uh, there's maybe a run game walkthrough or a pass game walkthrough uh, and yeah. then in a team walkthrough. So you kind of have that mentality usually with the way guys do walkthroughs. It's, it goes to the group periods and the team periods to do those. So talk to us a little bit about how you create that walkthrough through your, for your guys because I, I see a ton of value in – you being able to, number one, control it, because when you have all the other positions and usually in a run game, it's going to be you know the O-line coach or the run game coordinator controlling it. You get to the pass game, That's it's right. the quarterback's guy or the OC controlling it. So uh, how, how do you conduct those and what kinds of things are you working on? And even even just the setup, you know, what what's the visuals you're creating for these guys? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when, when um, you know, when coordinators are putting together walkthroughs, um, and, I, you know, Kalen DeBoer is outstanding and been phenomenal for us. You know, they're, they're, they have a big picture thinking of how they feel like they need to develop the entire unit. And each position group has different things that they need. And so, um, but at the same time, there's only so many plays in a walkthrough for a group. So they can't, you know, they can't just only focus on the things that the tight ends um, need to be exposed to. So what I try to do is in the walkthroughs that we have individually as a position, I try to 
to either expose them to things that I know won't be presented in a walkthrough setting or in a team setting, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a different front or a different look. You know big picture that they need to understand the concept of this place, or we're going to try to dive into a little bit more detail where you have them in a one-on-one setting. Um, so I try to expose them to any auxiliary looks or fronts or route concepts, coverages, et cetera, that maybe they wouldn't be naturally exposed to. Um, and then really it's just, um, it's class on the grass. I mean, we're really just going through um, the installation process by getting them up on their feet and having them do that. I think you got to be cognizant of it during training camp just because guys do get worn down. You don't want them to be on their feet all the time. Um, they do need rest and recovery in between practice. But at the same time, I think they're they're going to learn and retain the information better um, if they're up on their feet and actually doing it as opposed to to being in a classroom looking up at a tip sheet. So um, we really just transfer the information from, from what we expose to them in the classroom, and now we go up on, on the field and try to do it. And the only other thing that we would do is, like I mentioned before, try to expose them to any auxiliary looks or fronts that you know they're not going to get in a normal practice setting. So you want to make sure that they understand the full concept because throughout the course of the year it's going to, to happen to them. So you're trying to make sure that, that the whole concept is taught and, and exposed to them. Coach, and taking a step back and going a little bit bigger picture than just what's happening on the field, uh, I think the, the fun part for every position coach and for every separate room is they get to build their culture. It certainly is going to feed into you know the, the main culture of the program and, and you know what the head coach has put together and you know what the offensive coordinator has put together for the entire unit. But as you look at building that culture within your group, what are those those pillars that are the foundation of, of the work that the tight ends group is going to do? Yeah, I think um, I, I try as an assistant coach, I try my very best to try to echo the messages from the head coach. You know, I think um, I would encourage, you know, assistant coaches to do the same. You know, I know you have your individual position group, but ultimately you want your culture to reflect the big picture culture of the team. When you start to have maybe too many deviations from the big picture, I think, um, you know, you're sending uh, not necessarily conflicting messages, but maybe too many messages to the player. So from from the tight end position, I really tried my best to, to echo the the culture that Coach Allen, you know, has, has tried to instill with our players and has done, you know, with our coaches and, and the entire program. Um, so, and Coach sets that, and we just, we emphasize that. I think big picture culture-wise, you know, I look at, at culture as a way of life. You know, this is this is how you're going to operate. And Coach Allen always talks about, you know, culture is what you're pressured to do. You know, where, what do you feel pressured to do on a day-to-day basis? And so the pillars that he has established, I simply echo that to the tight end position group. Coach talks about loving each other. He says LEO all the time. And really that, that, that that's a – a byproduct of sacrifice. You know, what are you willing to sacrifice for others? And um, we try to emphasize that with the tight ends. The second piece would coach talks about not caring who gets the credit. And certainly with the tight end position, you know, it is an unselfish position. You're asked to do a lot of things. You're not always touching the ball, but you do have the opportunity to do it. And so, you know, we, we want to uh, support and be excited for the, the successes of everyone around us, and we don't care as long as Indiana University wins. We don't care who gets the credit. And then lastly, it's not about me just trying to create that unselfishness. So I, I don't 
as a as a position coach, I don't try to create a culture that's any different than what the head coach is trying to instill. And um, Coach Allen has given that a lot of thought over many years of experience, both as a head coach, as a coordinator, as a position coach. And we full full heartedly believe in it. And I know as a as a position coach, we're just trying to echo those messages on a daily. You know, from the culture standpoint coaches set the standards set the expectations for the players and now it's just our job as coaches and you're hoping player to player as well just to hold people accountable to those standards and those expectations so that's that's really what we do at the tight end position and and that's that's what you know we would encourage you know any position coach to do is to to try to echo the culture that the head coach has set um because ultimately if everyone does that you know, all position groups, they do that together, then you're going to have a, one heck of a team that's all moving in the same direction. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www dot team mofo.com slash demo and mention coach and coordinator podcast or use the coupon code cc10 to receive 10 percent off your first year i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great point, Coach. And and as you said, it, it's it's about really living those standards. And I think the opportunity that really comes about to the, the position coach or to any coach within a program is how do you highlight, celebrate, call out um, those things? Really, I think it's it's a little bit more positive to find them when they're done right, to say here's yeah. our standards being lived. Um, is there anything you do specifically to, uh, to make sure that you're doing that, whether that's in meetings, on the field, et cetera? Yeah, I, um, I think that's an awesome point, Keith. I, there's, I heard a coach say this one time, and it always stuck with me is that I try to catch them doing it right. And I think just that whole mindset as a coach is that, you know, ultimately, I know coaching is the correction of errors. I understand that. But we are trying to promote the good behavior. And so just things that that I've been exposed to in the past, whether it be giving out candy bars or snicker whatever it may be as a promotion of the things that you want to happen so there's a lot of different ways to do that uh, you know it i think anytime a player gets praised in front of their peers i think that's impactful and powerful i think that's impactful and powerful for any person everybody likes to be complimented in front of others and so i do try to make a point to that 
to try to be way more on the positive end than on the negative end. Certainly having the high standard, high accountability, you're not letting the small things slide, but you're promoting the behavior and the actions that you want. I can't say that I have anything um, as far as a chart or a board that, that we really emphasize or post on a daily basis. I've been a part of that in the past, um, but I just try my best to catch them doing it right. And whether that's on the field, in the classroom, in a walkthrough setting, to their parents, um, letting their parents know that they did a great job in the classroom and had a great semester, whatever it may be, just trying to promote the behavior that you want and try to catch them doing it right. So I try my best to do that. I'm sure I make mistakes and I'm not always perfect. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard. Coaches can be negative by nature at times. So we, we try to fight that and we try to be as uh, positive and complimentary as we can um, so that the players are encouraged to do those things, you know, over and over and over again. They want to do right. And so um, we try to promote those things. Getting them to do right on the field really is, is how you're going to use your, especially your individual time to develop those fundamentals. And uh, with your group, certainly there's, there's going to be a lot of moving those guys around the field to work with some of the different position groups and, and where some of these skill yep. sets fold in and how they have to work with, uh, you know, maybe the offensive line or work with uh, the, the, the other receivers, et cetera. Um, so first of all, let's just start from your individual time and, and how much, yep. you know, like in camp specifically, uh, time you're going to get individually and how do you focus that time? What are you um, really working on in your individual periods? Yeah, um, that that is probably the biggest challenge for all tight end coaches is because um, a lot of the individual, not a lot, I would say a lot, some of the individual time for other position groups, for example, offensive line or defensive line or quarterbacks, some of those individual periods are taken from special teams where they're not incorporated in that, so they have extra time to practice. Tight ends, as as many other positions, they're involved in every special team. So you, and then on top of that, there are periods that are allocated to maybe be routes with the quarterback or, um, you know, pods or combinations with the offensive line. So you really don't have a ton of individual time as a tight end group, and that's why I go back to some of the walkthrough settings or pre or post practice work. You really have to maximize those times to get everything taught and drilled. Um, because otherwise it just, it's not possible. You know, you don't have um, enough individual time. And there are a lot of coaches that would be the case. So you really have to be smart and efficient with it. I would say every offense for a tight end is going to be different. Um, This would be just big picture uh, developmental fundamentals and and skills. I would say the most important thing is to identify what your players are going to be asked to do. I don't think that's, um, you know, earth shattering or anything new, but I do try to take time post spring, post season to go back and on every play, make a list of the things that they were asked to do from a fundamental standpoint, whether it be a backside cutoff, whether it be a reach block, a down block, uh, a seam route, whatever the actual skill that's required. I do try to catalog that and make a list of that. And I do it by most to least frequent. So I know, okay, in, in our offense, in spring practice, this is what we did the most. And I think all position coaches, that's good to do. You know, coordinators do a great job of communicating to you on what, you know, ultimately what what they want to run from a scheme standpoint. But, 
you know, when coordinators go through a full season or a full spring and they're calling plays, you really get a clearer picture about exactly what your position is going to be asked to do um, based on the coordinator you're working for. So I try to do that. I identify the fundamentals and skills for each, for each play on what we're going to uh, do. I split up my drills into two types or my individual or my, uh, the individual skill set in two types. You have developers. Some people would call that like everyday drills. An example of that for a tight end would be, um, you know, just base blocks or maybe top ends of a route. Okay. Those are things that regardless of the offense that you're in, those are going to be pretty constant. Okay. So th- I call those developers or some, like I said, some people would say those are everyday drills. So those are, you know, you're rotating through your catalog of drills, but you're going to do something that every single day, whether it be blocking or pass pro or route running. And then we also have another group of, of skill set that we call these specifics. And that would be different offense to offense. It might be a tunnel screen. It might be, um, you know, a certain route or a certain um, run concept that's a little bit unique to what you do. So I try to take the skill sets, divide them into that, and then I just allocate the time based on, you know, what we do the most of and then work your way down. And, you know, as a position coach, you're trying to expose your players to what's going to happen the most in the game. And I think you can lose sight of that if you don't take the time to go back and actually watch each play. You may think you know that we do backside cutoffs all the time, but maybe you watch a a season's worth and you really only did it twice a game. So you probably shouldn't drill it nearly as much as maybe your reach box or whatever it may be. So I try to stay in tune to that so that um, we can use our time the the very best. Because some great points there in – and how to look at that. And I love that idea of knowing what you do as an offense and how much you're going to do it to be able to prescribe some of those, those drills and skill development. And kind of leads into my next question here, Uh, your group in, in thinking of situational football, uh, the tight end group probably gets involved more than anybody in, in, in the skill sets start to differ, right? So uh, your, your 11 personnel guy, who's probably very dynamic and can do a lot of things, um, you know, you may need in a short yardage situation, for example, uh, you may need a guy who is a little bit more yep. of a, a hammer and that's his opportunity. That guy within your room. Now it's his opportunity to shine and be a part of that. So uh, as you look at and, and evaluation, obviously a huge part of what you're going to do in camp, but as you look at yep. and start to evaluate whose skill sets can we plug into um, these different situational needs, these different package needs. Um, how are you yep. going to go about doing that? Because I, I think you would agree, the more of your guys you can can look to give a role and get on the field, the better for uh, the, the chemistry of that group, the morale of the team, et cetera. Without a doubt, yeah. I definitely am a proponent of playing as many players as possible. Um, I think that's just good for the overall development of each individual player and just collectively for your team. I think when you get into certain skill sets and what guys can and cannot do, great offensive coaches, they're always they're the best at identifying that and making sure that they put their players in the best position to be successful relative to what they're physically capable of doing. We try to big picture develop the tight end position from run blocking, pass protection, and route running. And then as you get into more scheme-specific things, when you get into your group work, 
or your teamwork, you make sure to expose the players to those skills more often. And more so than anything, when you're getting ready for a season, when you're in spring practice, I think you're trying to expose your players to everything because you never know. They, you, a kid that's a freshman that maybe is not the hammer that you described in short yardage, maybe by the time they're a junior, they, they do become that. And so you don't want to shortchange them on their big picture development. But when you're getting ready for a season, for that, for those 12, 13, 14, 15 games, you know this guy's going to be asked to do this maybe a little bit more than, than the other guy. When we get those team reps, you got to be, be mindful and be intentional on getting those players into those plays. And so, um, you know, when the coordinator scripts practice, typically they're, they're, they have the quarterback in mind. And as they should, we would all agree with that, the importance of that position. And so you need to make sure you go through as a position coach, go through the script, and you mark off before practice however you need to do that, that this player needs to get this rep. You know, there's nothing worse than, um, you know, wasting reps in practice. They're super valuable. And so when you get to that period, if you get short yardage goal line and you have your, you know, your flex guy out there trying to, to down block on a, on a three technique or, or whatever it may be in a certain package, you don't want that to be the case. So, um, you just have to be intentional throughout the practice structure that you're exposing those players to those things, um, um, especially in fall camp, um, whereas in spring practice, you're a little bit more uh, big picture uh, development of them. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I, I definitely, like I said, I go through the script and I make sure that certain guys are in um, certain packages in place so that the guys that are going to run it in the game, they're getting the most reps of it throughout a practice uh, camp. Coach, in, in the evaluation part of this process and, and figuring out, you know, especially to game one, who, who's gonna, who are going to be the guys or guy, if, if maybe you're staying in, in a one tight end set as an example, um, for you, how are you evaluating and giving that feedback and, and really uh, knowing, okay, uh, this is the guy I see right now, maybe as the number one guy. Here's a guy who'd come in and take some reps, and he works better in this package. So, for you, what does the evaluation process evolve? How are you looking at that practice film? How are you grading it formally, informally, uh, as as you go through the evaluation part of this? Yeah, I think a couple things just on on playing time in general. We do try to uh, we ex- we explain to our players that the players control playing time and not the coaches. So we do try to we put the ownership on them that you know how they perform on a day to day basis is ultimately going to give coaches the faith and confidence to put them in the game. And then the other thing to that is just big picture. You know, I try as a position coach to find the guys that are going to help us play as opposed to the mentality of finding the guys that aren't, you know, I, I think just from a, um, a mindset standpoint, we're trying to get as many guys ready to play as possible. And we're trying to be optimistic on who can help us, you know, as opposed to trying to eliminate guys early on and say they can't help us, you know? So um, just from a mindset standpoint, as a coach, you know, always looking to f- try to find roles and different things, because like I mentioned earlier, there's no substitute for experience. There's no substitute for getting into a game in front of a hundred thousand people and trying to block a future first round draft pick. I mean, you can't simulate that in a practice setting. And so the more that you can let guys do that throughout their career incrementally, 
the better they're going to be. Um, from the day-to-day standpoint, we're really looking at just straight performance. I have I have listened and learned a bunch of different grading techniques, um, different things that you may look for, whether it be footwork or hand placement or finish or whatever it may be. I really try to be simple, uh, and it's really a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Did they do what you asked them to do on that play or not? Is it up to the standard that you have for a coach or not? And I just plus minus them, and I really um, I do that for every play in practice. Just did they do well or not? Did they do what you asked them to do or not? And then you can look at those things from a great standpoint um, to try to determine who you know ultimately who uh who you'd like to put out there but um other than that i can't say keith that there's a bunch of things we we try to get as many guys above the line and ready to play as possible and and as you mentioned before with the different skill sets with tight ends we try to find roles for guys i think that'd be the case at all positions you know um what can they do as opposed to what can't they do and try to get them in the game and and allow them to do that and I think morale on a team is always better the more guys that are playing. And so um, we try to encourage that. And as a position coach, you try to promote that to the coordinator. And ultimately, it's on the players to create trust and confidence amongst the head coach and the coordinator and the position coach um, that, you know, you deserve to be in the game. And whether you're the first, second, third best at your position, you, you've uh, busted your tail and done what we've asked you. We trust you to do the right thing. And in this package, in this role, you need to get in there. So um, I know it's a little bit of a long-winded answer. I don't have something specific like a. I, I, I look at mental errors. I look at certain things like that. But I really look at just a thumbs up, thumbs down on that particular play. Did you do what we asked you to? Um, to the best of your ability as hard and as long as you could. And if you did, you get a plus, And then you look at that at the end of the day and see, you know, who's playing better. I think coaches have certain positions, maybe with quarterback where you got completion percentage or turnover ratio. There's some, some more metric things that you can measure. I think most coaches would be able to tell you, you know, who are the best guys at their position, whether they had a chart or, you know, an objective way to look at it. But, um, you know, I, I understand that it's, it's sometimes, um, you know, things to show your players so that they can understand because every player thinks that they're the best and you want them <laughs> to think that. And so, so to be able to show them, okay, here are the things that you struggle with. Here's where you had minuses. You know, this is, this is why Jimmy's playing over Joe right now in these reps in this role. These are the things you did well. This is what you need to improve on based on, you know, the, uh, the daily grade. I know players always want to know, um, you know, what do I need to do coach to play more? And so, um, you, you'd like to be able to tell them everything that I've corrected you on or minus you on every single day. Those are the things that I want you to get better at, you know, so that's not a real difficult, uh, thing to figure out. You know, it's, you've been getting feedback on every single play from the beginning of spring practice to the, to the conclusion of fall camp. And so there should be no gray area on where you stand and what, what are the things that, as a position coach, I want to see you improve on. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I mean, sure, there are those metric things in other positions, but having a system for feedback, 
However simple or complex it is, I think is is very important for every coach. And there are those things you can go back through your season and get very analytical and look at things for the future that help you as a coach to figure out, okay, how do I better develop this guy? But that doesn't have to be the focus at this time of the year. So uh, definitely appreciate that perspective and all the ideas that you've given us here today. Uh, you, you really def- packed in a, a, a lot of information into this 35 or 40 minute uh, episode and we certainly appreciate that and my final question coach is, is the one I ask of everybody as we wind this down is you know looking at all the things you do and you've you've grown up in this game you've seen a lot of it but if I were to say coach what's the one thing you do or you focus on that really gives your guys the winning edge what would that be I would say uh, what I try to do is love my players that would be the one thing I try to do and um there's really nothing more than that. I try to love them and try to give them my time. And um, that's what I try to do. And, and hopefully that they, the, the players that I've been fortunate to coach and the guys that I currently coach, hopefully they would echo that. Coaches, uh, you can follow Coach Sheridan on Twitter at IU Coach Sheridan. Uh, please be sure to follow him and give him a shout out here, thanking him for his time. Coach we do thank you for your time. I appreciate you being here on the podcast and look forward to talking to you in the future. Absolutely, Keith. Appreciate what you do, giving back to the game. And if I can help in the future, please don't hesitate. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the coaching coordinator podcast that's at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on twitter at coach k grabowski